Please turn to Hebrews 4 in your Bibles, Hebrews 4. And the fellows have some Bibles. For anybody who doesn't have one, they would get one to you if you'll just get their attention. It's marked at Hebrews 4 so that you can follow along. And we want everybody to own a copy of the Scriptures as well, so that's our gift to you. Please feel free to keep that. Is our normal practice to have a passage of Scripture that we go through in some detail. But today we are going to have a topical message related to the special day of Mother's Day and focused on motherhood. And we will come to a portion in Hebrews chapter 4 at the end of our time together. But we have an outline for you that's at the very back, on the back side of your program. You know, parenting is really easy. It's really easy until you become a parent. The truth is, many of us have had to eat our words with regard to parenting. Before we had kids, we were quite judgmental. My kid will never act like that in public. I'd never let my kids go out of the house looking like that. I'd never go out of the house looking like that. Her house is always a mess. You know, when I have kids, it's amazing how many things that we think we can do until we have to do them. When we were younger, we were quite sure that we knew how it should be. In fact, I saw a sign years ago at a, uh, at a, a barber that said this. It said, teenagers, tired of being harassed by your parents? Move out. Get a job. Pay your own way. Act now while you still know everything. Well, those teenagers who knew everything become adults who thought they knew everything. And then in the course of life, as life happens, including parenthood, we come to realize I didn't quite know all that I thought. Children who are well-behaved and a house that's well-ordered and a routine that's somewhat close to, well, routine, they're all things that many of us found to be much, much harder than we thought. And here's the bad news. That's really the easy stuff when it comes to parenting. Because being assigned the task of shaping a life, of being the major human influence in what this life or these lives are going to be like, is an awesome, even overwhelming duty. I mean, think about it as parents. We have been commissioned by God to nurture and instruct our children to help them become like God. We're the key tools in God's hands to see our children come to know God and to develop character that emulates this God. And so keeping the house straight and the kids clean and the schedule going seems trivial when it's compared to what God has really assigned to us. And we know we struggle with even the relatively small stuff. I can think of few things that compare to parenting when it comes to the overwhelming sense that I am in way over my head. 
the combination of joy and pain and sacrifice that's involved in parenting is unparalleled by other endeavors. I actually tried to think about any other endeavor that has that mixture to the same intensity and the same degree. I thought about athletic training. And we rightly say things like, no pain, no gain. And so a runner, for instance, pushes herself in logging miles in order to achieve the goal of better health or of winning a race. When you run uphill, the course is your adversary, and it inflicts pain on you. And then that same course becomes your ally when you're coasting downhill. And you get the sensation of joy and satisfaction when you're finished and you cross the finish line or you've completed your laps. Well, parenting's sort of like that, with the joys mixed with the pain and the sacrifice. But the profound difference is that the source, now hear this, the source of the joy and pain is not an inanimate object like a course or a track or a workout machine. But the source of that joy and, yes, of that pain is a living, breathing made in the image of God, yet marred by the fall human being. And that human being, that tiny life, is capable of being the sweetest and most delightful thing in your life, but also capable of being the most cruel and painful as well. I don't know what you can compare parenting to in terms of the mixture of joy and difficulty. Children are a cycle of pain and joy. In pain, they're carried to term by their mothers, but you get to know them and the joy they bring, even the anticipation of seeing them as you carry them. And in pain, they come forth, and in an instant, in an instant, they bring this incredible rush of joy. And exhausted, you take them home and they cry, and they cry, and cry. I'm talking, this is autobiographical now. Pain and joy. Pain and joy. And they hurt you. Because you ladies, particularly, are made by God to feel hurt in a way that we men often do not. And so moms have both physical and emotional pain with their children. But they also experience the greatest joy due to that same kind of sensitivity. In the very midst of your care and your nurture, this child that you mothers bore in your body and in suffering delivered into this world, And a night after night stayed up with him and coddled and sang and kissed and hugged. And there were times when you could, if you're looking back on it, and some of you are going through it right now, there are times when you could barely stand up. And yet the next day has arrived. And there are all these chores to be done and the child needs to be tended to. And so you soldier on, but it wears on you. And you wonder... What's wrong with me? Why isn't this working? Why does it seem so easy for other people? And especially the people at church. 
many of them really seem to have it together. Why is my child like this? What did I do to make them this way? And you wonder, how am I, how am I going to make it? And as you go through that physical and that emotional turmoil, this amazing person that is your child can inflict still more pain by defying you, by showing a selfishness that's scary sometimes. And they might even yell at you the most vile things. I hate you. Where did that come from? It's gotten so bad, there are times when it got so bad that you thought about doing things that frighten you. At one time you felt you were very capable. But parenting has challenged all of your old assumptions about yourself. Motherhood challenges our assumptions of competency. Or motherhood might confirm what you perhaps were told your whole life. You can't do anything right. Well, that's why I'm failing at this. This just proves I can't do anything right. But in either case, the type A woman who believed that she could do anything or the retiring and shy, self-conscious woman, the fact is the same for both. The truth is, you are in over your head. You can't do this. Parenting is actually when you think about what God has called us to do. It, with all of its aspects, will try us in ways that few, if any other things, ever will. And ultimately, we come to realize, I really can't do this. This thing is really impossible for me. And that's why I say in your outline that very thing. I say that, God has a call, but God also has a comfort from others. And God's call, as you think about what you have been called to do, is ultimately impossible for us to do. And why is it? Well, it has all of the demands and more that I've just talked about. And then you add to that who we are as parents, and in this case, mothers. That mothers are weak physically. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 that the woman in the partnership that is marriage is the weaker partner. The woman is weaker in a number of ways. She is weaker in the sense that she is, according to that passage, as some of us men heard at our men's retreat this past weekend, she is in that passage placed in a vulnerable position by virtue of having to submit to her husband. That's the context of that passage. And so she's weaker in the sense that she's in the vulnerable position. But she is also weaker in the sense that she's emotionally weaker. The truth is, the ability and the requirement to bear the children has profound effects upon a woman's body. And God has so designed a woman's body such that she goes through those changes so that she can do this very profound thing of bearing and bringing forth the children, but it has emotional effects upon every woman. 
And so she's often weaker emotionally and certainly weaker physically. We live in a day where we like to talk about equality. And the Bible talks about equality between men and women in certain categories, spiritual equality before God in our position, our standing before God. We're absolutely equal. Galatians 3.28, there is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ, says the Bible. And certainly we are equal in our intellectual capacities. I'm overmarried. My wife surpasses me in every area. And so we're not talking about those areas when we talk about these, these weaknesses and physical weaknesses. But the truth is, with all of that equality, there are differences between men and women. One of those is physical, and you see it in a number of ways. We have different teams for all of our sports in college and in the professional ranks. And that's because there is no match between the two. Some of us went out golfing on Friday before the men's retreat. It was miserable weather. We were only able to get in six holes. I got my money's worth nonetheless because I took enough strokes for 18 holes in those six holes. But those of you that are familiar with golf know that at every hole there are two sets of, there are a couple of sets of tees. There's the men's tee and there's the woman's tee, the ladies' tee. And the ladies' tee is always 50 yards or so further up so the ladies start further up because they can't hit the ball as far. That's the physical weakness. And I have to add, it really embarrasses me when I hit my ball from the men's tee and then I have to hit it again from the ladies' tee. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's the idea. So God has this impossible call to mothers. Impossible, why? Because there are all of these physical demands. And we are physically weak. But more important than the physical weakness is the spiritual weakness. That motherhood and parenthood in general exposes about us. As you think about your mothering now, ladies, or those of you that have completed your mothering and your children are grown, the truth is, if we're honest, that some are sinning or some have sinned in our reactions to our children. There were times, and, and I'm sure this is not true for everyone, but I'm also sure it is true for some and even several, if not most. There were times, and you, you want to block this out of your mind, where you just were so exhausted and the baby would not stop. You just felt like taking that baby and just tossing that baby. Or you sinned in not liking your body anymore after you had your child and you became discontent. Or you sinned in wanting to be something more important than a mom. As if there is anything more important than being a mom. Or you sinned in looking to your husband as your savior. And looking to him to solve all of the problems and to be the knight in shining armor that you all, every one of you who is married, my wife included, found out, found we are not. You sinned in looking to your husband as Savior rather than Jesus as your Savior. So God has this impossible task to which he called us. Impossible physically and spiritually it has challenged us in ways 
that few other things have. That raises the question, why would God call them? Any of us to any endeavor that he knows we cannot do. Why would God do that? You know what the Bible's answer is? God does that in order to show us our absolute need and dependency upon him. You all know that the Bible teaches that we are to obey God's law. Just think about something God has called us to do that he knows we can't do. Obey God's law. In the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, there are 613 commands. Part of God's law. 613. We think there are 10. There are 613. And God said, with regard to his law, you must obey my laws. And be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So God gives these laws and God says you keep these laws. These laws represent my standard for you. If you do them, you will live. So how many people did them? No one is justified. Before God, by the law. God says, do this. He knows full well you can't do it. He commands us to do it. But he knows we cannot. Why would God do that? Galatians 3 says this. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So that we might be justified by faith. God gives us impossible things for us to do in and of ourselves for his good purpose to point us to himself as the source of all of our needs, our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And ladies, you know that in motherhood, your physical needs and your spiritual needs have been exposed And God has done that to point you to Him as the resource and the only ultimate resource for you. God desires that He receive honor and glory through our dependence upon Him. Notice what Psalm 50 says. God speaking, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't need any of your stuff. As a matter of fact, you don't have any stuff. It's my stuff. And if I were hungry, now get this line. This is God. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. (laughs) I wouldn't give... Anyone, the honor and the glory of helping me. As if I, God, would thus be dependent on anyone. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine. And all that's in it. Here's the way it goes. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you, says the Lord. And you will honor me. So why has God given us this standard to meet 
It's so that we see our need for him. He knows, ladies, ultimately you can't do it. He knows physically you cannot do it. He knows spiritually that you cannot do it. He wants you to recognize, I can't do this. I must, in all of my pride, I must come to a place where I humble myself. And I no longer act like I have it all together. And this turned out exactly the way I thought it was going to. (laughs) And all the books that I read, and the parenting course that I took from Brown, which we're in right now, it just all went according to script. Nonsense. It didn't go according to script in various ways. And there were times when you found yourself at the end of your rope. And God, now hear this, God wants every one of us to get to the end of our rope. God wants us to ultimately see the gap between our capabilities and our abilities and what he calls us to do. And his gracious reason in that is to point us to dependency upon himself. Jesus said, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God wants a gap between what you can do and what he requires. God wants us, as I've said, at the end of our rope. Now hear this, friends, ladies in particular. How you bridge that gap between what God has called us to do and what you know you're able to do There is always a gap, sometimes an immense gap between the two. How you fill in that gap will have profound consequences. And so some of you have determined, okay, there's the gap. You've reminded me of it today. Thank you for encouraging me. I feel worse now than when I came in. I know there's the gap, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to double down and I'm going to try harder. Starting tomorrow, Monday, May the 10th, it's going to be different. New schedule, new regimen. I just remind you, this is the 30th new schedule and new regimen that you've tried. But that's what many of us respond with. I've got to double down and try harder. Some take a perfectionist route. I've actually heard people tell me, I've actually heard mostly ladies say this. We men know we're slouches. We don't even entertain the idea that we're perfectionists. But I've heard more than one lady tell me, I'm a perfectionist. Well, according to the Bible, that's a losing proposition. But I'll keep pursuing my perfectionism, and the more I pursue my perfectionism, the more discontent and joyless I become. You can try to fill that gap by doubling down by your perfectionism, or you can say, I'm God's vacationer, as one author called it. I heard Brown preach this message that says, You can't do it. I'm off the hook. Let's party. God's vacationer, irresponsible then. Or you can become legalistic. 
with all sorts of rules and standards for yourself that you keep missing. God has an impossible call from others. But he has a very gracious purpose in that impossible call to show us our absolute dependence upon him for our physical needs and our spiritual needs. And so I say in your outline, God not only has an impossible call, but thanks be to God, he has incredible comfort from others as well. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. One of Israel's kings, Jehoshaphat, prayed just before Israel went into battle against a superior army. And in his prayer, he said, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The Lord goes on to say, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And so if you feel like, ladies, after I've gone through this and reminded you of what you have felt over a long period of time, this is impossible and I'm in over my head and I'm not up to it. If you feel that way now, you're in good company. God's people before you have felt exactly the same way. The great apostle Paul. And you look at Paul's career, just look at his resume, look at what he did. Some of you are familiar with that. Here's a man who gave his days, his life. He gave himself to the Lord in death. He was executed for preaching and advancing the gospel. He left it all on the floor, as it were. And yet Paul asked this question of his own ministry. Who is equal to such a task? The anticipated answer is no one. Paul was not equal to the task that God gave him. And so God gives this incredible comfort. How does he do so? He turns you into dependence upon him for both your physical and your spiritual needs. He is the one who supplies your physical needs. Paul said of our God, the true and living God, to some godless philosophers in Athens, Greece, he said, God himself gives all men, including you guys, life and breath and everything else. Ladies, your motherhood should remind you, I am dependent upon God for my very physical well-being, for every breath that I take. He's the one who meets our physical needs. And that's why in Philippians 4.19 The same Paul said this, my God will supply all of your needs. It is God who supplies all of our needs, including our physical needs. But I must acknowledge my dependence on him, which is the very purpose for which he has called me to this impossible task, both physically and spiritually. But God's incredible grace also is seen in his meeting our physical needs, or excuse me, our spiritual needs. In motherhood as well. And so I say in your outline that God's incredible comfort for mothers is seen both in the fact that he meets our spiritual needs, our physical needs, and our spiritual needs. 
Now, I ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and I told you toward the end of our time we would take a look at it. But in Hebrews chapter 4, we are given a picture of Jesus Christ as our great high priest. And we're given a description of Jesus' credentials in serving as our high priest. Beginning in verse 14, here's what the Bible says of him. We have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And since we have that, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks be to God. God calls us to the impossible so that he can point us to the incredible. And the incredible comfort that we have from God comes to us in the person and work and ongoing work of our great high priest, Jesus. Ladies, in the middle of the night, when you have all of those feelings rushing around you, and you say, I don't know what to do. God says to you, I'm on my throne and I bid you to come to my throne. I've designed it so that you recognize your dependence upon me. So come to me with your need, with all of your need, whatever your need, so that I show myself to be strong. Through you. And so what do we do to avail ourselves of this comfort? We, we come to this one who is our high priest and of whom we are given this marvelous description. And I'd like to remind you of a few things about this one, ladies, to whom we are to come and to cast our care upon him when we've come to the end of our rope, which assuredly all of us have. It tells us in this passage that we have one who is able to sympathize and it means more than just a flash of compassion or a surge of pity. Our experience of sympathy with someone else is usually limited to feeling sorry or being thankful that we're not in the same boat. But sympathy here means this. It means to be moved by what has moved someone else. When we went through this passage in our study of Hebrews, some of you may remember I used the illustration of two pianos in the same room that have sympathetic vibration with one another. You hit one key on this piano and it has harmony with this other key, a vibration with this other piano, same key. The Bible's telling us that Jesus has that same kind of sympathy, being moved by what moves us. Christ's sympathy for you ladies, for us in general, is so strong that our problems become His. It's more than just feeling sorry for someone who's in a tough spot. It's understanding what it's like to live in the middle of someone else's circumstances. And it's coupled with a desire to do whatever is within 
our power to help that person. And what is within Jesus' power to help you? He has all power. And he sympathizes. In this passage in Hebrews 4, there's a double negative. Notice what it says. We do not have one who is unable. Do not have unable. A double negative. Which is a positive assurance that this is exactly how our wonderful counselor Jesus responds as we struggle with life. It's an amazing thing to consider, moms, that you have a Savior, you have a high priest who gets it, who understands, who knows. And then in our passage, the writer of Hebrews uses the word weaknesses. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And the Greek word that's translated weaknesses is a very strong word. It's best understood simply as the human condition. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus really understands what it means to live in this fallen and difficult world. He understands the full catalog of the temptations we face, temptations even as mothers. He understands how difficult and complicated our lives and our relationships are. He understands betrayal, mom. Rejection, mom. He understands physical pain. He understands loneliness. Spending time alone as everyone deserted him, which every mother here has spent countless hours in. You're saying to yourself, but Jesus was perfect. Thanks be to God, he was perfect. But hear this, that makes, does not make his temptations any less. As a matter of fact, it makes them more severe. Think of a dam that is keeping water from going through. The dam that breaks is relieved of the pressure. But the dam that never breaks always has the pressure. And Jesus never succumbed to the temptation. And Satan put all the pressure that he could muster on Jesus. But Jesus, the second Adam, did not fail as did the first Adam. And because of that, he stands as our high priest. And he can sympathize with the human condition of motherhood. And so God has incredible comfort for mothers in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who fills the gap between what God has called us to do and what we are able to do. And so let me leave you with some thoughts, ladies, with regard to what we should do in our times of need, many though they be as moms. The first place you go for help, the first place you go is to Jesus. You first and always and often go to Jesus. As I put the sermon together, my mind kept going to that song we used to sing when I was a kid, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We go first and often to Jesus, but further, 
ladies. Jesus is supplying for your needs in the other things and other people that he has placed in your life. We go to him first and we go to him often. But we also avail ourselves of the means of grace that Jesus has provided. Sitting in this room right now, ladies, you have resources that your God who loves you and loves your child has provided for you. There are women in this room who have raised their children and they know what this path is like. And so you go to them so that what the Lord God says in Titus chapter 2 will be real in your life. The older women teaching the younger women to be keepers at home, to love their husbands and their children. You cannot isolate yourself from these marvelous resources that you have, younger women. And to the older women, I encourage you. These younger women are going through the difficulty of motherhood. We older women, these older women need to be honest. Don't have selective memory about how it went. Be honest with them about how difficult it was. Be honest with them about your failings and your temptations. But also give them great hope in how the Lord Jesus saw you through that in showing your, de your absolute dependence upon him. And further, ladies, I encourage you to take advantage of the resources that your church is providing for you. Not only in the people who are here, thanks be to God for them, but also in the curriculum that we're beginning on January 11th. Just a minute for a commercial, but an important commercial. At the end of our parenting series, ends on July 4th, the following week, we're offering classes to women, separate classes for women with panel discussion to help you with the practical day in and day out of what it means to be a wife and a mother, paneled by some of the ladies in our church. Likewise, same kind of thing for men. We'll offer you classes in how to schedule yourself in your personal life to help you with the chaos that often accompanies, as we've seen, rearing children in our homes. And so mark that date, July 11th, and for 12 weeks following, we're going to have classes available to help you with the practical aspects of being a wife and a mother, being a husband and a father. And lastly, when your child sins, not if your child sins, when your child sins, think of your sin before God. With everything that you go through with that precious child. With that marvelous bundle of joy that can also inflict intense pain. Think of the heart of your heavenly father. And the pain that he has realized and experienced when we sin against him. When your child sins, think of your sin before God. When your child brings great joy, think of the goodness of your God. And when you think of either of those, the pain and the joy, always think of Jesus who allows us to experience His forgiveness when we sin against our parent, our heavenly parent. And who allows us to experience His abiding goodness in the joy that He affords us even in living in a fallen world. Use this experience, ladies, 
as a metaphor, an illustration of your relationship with your God. And you'll come to an even greater appreciation for the constancy and faithfulness of the love that God has shown to you as you seek to do the same in the life of your precious little ones. Now, the only way any woman can do that is if she has Jesus Christ and the resources that only He can provide. And how does that come to you? You must first come to Him. Come to Him humbling yourself, saying, I can't do it. You have done what I cannot do. Namely, you have lived this perfect life. I cannot do it. I cannot meet God's standard. And therefore, I will not be in God's presence if I do not have applied to me what Jesus has done. He lived an absolutely perfect life. He died a death on the cross to pay for your sin as your substitute. And you come to Him acknowledging, I can't do it. I have sinned. I don't have the ability to do it. And if you do that, God's great purpose has been achieved, showing you your dependence on Him. And so I ask you, God the Son, to receive me, rescue me, save me. I want to follow you with my life. That's what repent means. I'm going to go your way and not my way. And then you pray to Him in your own words from your own heart, asking Him to save you. He promises He will do so. Ladies, who have come to Jesus, we may need to, when we bow here in just a moment, ask forgiveness of our God for not availing ourselves of the resources that He has provided first and always. For the sins that we've committed and have been exposed in the context of this awesome and impossible task of motherhood. But thanks be to God, Jesus our High Priest is available if we confess He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for this special day once again. And I thank you particularly for the ladies that are represented here. Lord, my heart goes out to ladies who have desired to be your tools as mothers, but for your own purposes. You have not seen fit to grant that desire. I thank you for these dear saints who have then channeled their lives into the lives of the children that are part of their church family. And I thank you for the example that they are. And I ask you, Lord, to continue to be their constant comfort. And Lord, I think of all of the late precious ladies here that you have granted the gift, the precious gift of children who are inheritance from the Lord, gifts from you that belong ultimately to, to you, who have been given to us but for a short time to carry out your awesome work in their lives. I thank you, Lord, for the ladies who are doing that with all of the ability that you provide, but understanding that they are completely dependent upon you. And we're dependent upon you, Lord, for the results that take place in the lives of our children. These children made in the image of God with their own struggles, with their own sin, with their own desires are ultimately uncontrolled, ultimately uncontrollable by, by mere humans, sinful humans at that. 
So, Lord, we're dependent on you for the process and we're dependent on you for the outcome. But I thank you, Lord, for these dear faithful women who are engaging day in and day out and night in and night out in the faithful process of mothering their children. I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that today would be an encouragement to them that they have a high priest who is with them every moment of every day in the lonely hours of the night when they feel like they cannot go any further. He will supply their physical and their spiritual needs. And so, Lord, we thank you for the promises of the gospel and the difference that it's made in our lives and in every aspect of our lives, in our parenting, in the way we are employees, in the way we are stewards of your resources. In every area of life, Jesus Christ is Lord and the gospel is central. The good news that God has come to fill the gap between what you have called us to be and what we are in a meager way able to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we love you. And we pray that you will be honored in our homes and through our mothers and in our children. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.